Richard reached out to a tennis coach in Florida named Rick Macy, who was also depicted in the movie King Richard. And Macy liked what he saw of Venus and Serena, who were basically 13 and 12 at the time. But he believed in them enough to help them move from Compton, California, very rough neighborhood, to Palm Beach, Florida, where they could play on manicured tennis courts every day. And that aided their development. So Richard had a plan. Orosine bought into the plan. They sold it to their daughters, but not in a way that made Venus and Serena sick of tennis. Instead, it made them really love tennis and want to please their parents by fulfilling Richard's prophecy that they would be the two best players in the world one day. Do you feel that or think that they had a natural talent for this? Or was this because of the family dynamics, their father, and just them, him, him really pushing and saying, you are, you will be the best in the world. And they believed it wholeheartedly and they worked hard. So is it really that they worked hard or is that a natural talent? Well, the thing I've always heard about tennis, and I say always heard because I've talked to players and coaches since I'm not much of a tennis player myself, but I've covered the sport for so long. There is no such thing as a natural tennis player because you have to learn the strokes. You have to learn to the serve, the return of serve, the backhand, the forehand, and the subtle way to switch your grip on your racket while the point is in progress. And that's something that the typical weekend player struggles with, but the professionals do it so quickly you barely notice that they're changing their grip. Uh, Richard got his daughters to buy in to the notion that the talent that you've been blessed with if you work hard enough to develop it, you're going to become great. So they were not natural players. Venus and Serena both turned pro at 14, but neither really took the sport by storm. They didn't win major titles immediately. Mm. But relatively soon, by, by 17, Venus was in the U.S. Open final. Major achievement. By 17, Serena was the U.S. Open champion. Also a major achievement. But they turned pro at 14, so they had some rough patches where they had to learn. They had to take defeats and learn how to deal with defeats and continue to practice against each other. That was an important key. Venus and Serena always had each other to practice against and play with and push each other. So not quite natural talent, but a strong work ethic to get the maximum out of the talent they were blessed with. And very supportive parents that can't be understated either yeah it just amazes me that how many tournaments that serena has won it's like 23 or 23 major titles more than any other player in the open era and uh venus is at seven seven yes okay seven uh real quick the title of your first book on tennis what is that again is Charging the Net, A History of Blacks in Tennis from Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe to the Williams Sisters. That's more of a chronological telling of tennis history because Althea Gibson was the first black major tennis champion in the 1950s when it was an amateur sport. Then to Arthur Ashe, who emerged in the late 60s when tennis became a professional sport. And for many people, Arthur Ashe was the first black tennis player they saw because he won the first U.S. Open. And this was in the, it was in 1968, and around that time, many families are getting their first color TV sets, and they see Arthur Ashe coming into their living room, winning major tennis tournaments. 
so Arthur Ashe is far better known than Althea Gibson, which is a shame. They both should be well known. And my most recent book, Different Strokes, and charging that, I really write extensively about Althea Gibson because I want people to know how great she was. Mm-hmm. When she was the number one player in the world, tennis was an amateur sport. She didn't make any money. She did what is unheard of today. She retired from tennis at number one in the world because she couldn't make a living. <laughs> it's just crazy. I, I, you know, I don't mean to laugh, but just the ir- irony of that, considering how many millions Venus and Serena have made, how many millions today's tennis superstars, Naomi Osaka basically made $36 million in one year, mostly from endorsements. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. staggering to, to compare what's going on now to what existed in the 1950s when Althea Gibson was the best female tennis player in the world. That's just amazing. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not into tennis. Okay, I'm flat out honest. But I did watch some matches that I remember Arthur Ashe and back yes. at that time during the Arthur Ashe. Um, now. I've, um, Billie Jean King, Connors, all of them. Yes, oh, yes. I, I remember all that time, but I was never into it. And I, I have to be honest, I looked at it as a, a young, young child as more of a sport rather than I didn't see color at that time. Okay. And I think that's where, like you were saying, too, with possibly with Arthur Ashe, he helped the sport, but it really didn't help. Uh, propel uh, people of color like myself um, to really get an interest into that sport until now. But your books have got to be amazing because you are so full of information and it's grabbed my interest right now. Uh, I just want to make sure that people know where they can go and get your book. Do you have a website and Amazon, Barnes & Noble? Where can they go? Yeah, the, the books are available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, the physical bookstores, and BarnesandNoble.com, Books A Million, which is a chain that is not here in New York where I am, but I know it's in parts of the South and the Southeast, BooksAMillion.com, and the physical bookstores carry it. And I do have a website, CecilHarrisBooks.com, but really all websites that sell books will carry out different strokes, and I, I encourage people to read the books and learn about tennis history and where the Williams sisters basically stand in the history of the sport because they've influenced two generations of young people to play the sport. Venus and Serena are now in their 40s and they started at 14. And they've stood the test of time. They're legends and they're idols in their sport. They've really made professional tennis players out of so many people they've made tennis fans out of so many people and i put their careers in historical perspective mm-hmm. i don't want to lose sight of uh um your book and having folks okay. go to the website and everything but there's something else i want to touch on as far as tennis or maybe some other sports the the number of colored coaches the ones who are in charge, so to speak, the ones who sit in the chair, the referees. Uh, there are so few people of color that I see that are in that type of position as well. 
Yeah, that's an issue in the the NFL and really in, in all sports. Mm-hmm. The NBA is a notable exception. There are many coaches of color in the in the NBA, but it's an unfortunate thing with the National Football League. As popular a sport as it is, you can't force these owners to hire black coaches if they don't want to, and they don't really have any good reason not to want to hire black coaches because in the past season, the 2021 season, roughly 70% of the players were black. There's a large pool of black players who could someday become coaches, and when you look at today's coaches in pro football, almost all of them are former players. So white former players have a much better chance of becoming coaches than black former players. And that's a systemic problem that the NFL is going to have to address seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you watch the sports, like you said, specifically on the NFL. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, and if I'm wondering, I know there are so many other people uh, who wonder why. Mm-hmm. We don't even hear that their name has been put in for it. It's... It's and if you do, mm-hmm. you just hear the name, but nothing else, and it just goes nowhere. So it, it doesn't really. Um, there's a a black assistant football coach. His name is Ray Horton. He was with the Washington um, organization for many years, and he was quoted as saying that when he would be interviewed for a head coaching job and not get it, he would get feedback later. Oh, the owner was just more comfortable with the other guy. So, I mean, it, it's a a problem that Ray Horton can't do anything about if owners keep saying, oh, I'm more comfortable with a white man coaching my team. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, something that the NFL is going to have to take more seriously because the overwhelming majority of the players are black. But when it comes to who's coaching the team, who, who's the general manager of the team, there are very, very few blacks who ascend to that level because they're not getting the opportunity. Uh, the the NBA is, a, a, I say, a notable exception. There are more black head coaches, certainly many more black assistant coaches in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And if you become an assistant coach, you're sort of on that fast track to become a head coach. The NFL needs more black assistants, more black offensive and defensive coordinators, because that's the track you need to be on to become a head coach. But what needs to happen is the team owners, and there are no black owners in the third of the 32 NFL teams. Um, the owners need to say, well, I'm going to basically expand my thinking and not limit it to who I feel more, more comfortable with. Why am I not more comfortable with you know, this black assistant coach who also played in the league, played with distinction, is a good teacher, a good motivator, is good with the media. I need to give him a chance to coach. And that that's just not happening often enough. Uh, I got to say thank you for addressing that. And I, I hope you don't mind that we did, because I think I that's very important. Uh, your book is important. A book on tennis is important, but I think all of that really leads to to what we're just talking about, uh, yes. trying to make a difference. We always hear the word make change, make difference, and mm-hmm. NFL's got to start. So They do. They certainly do. Uh, 
What do I say? It, it, it's just interesting. Yeah. It's all about opportunity, isn't it? If you get the opportunity, you know, yes. that that's the key. I mean, um, tennis being an individual sport, it was Richard Williams who made sure his daughters would get the opportunity mm-hmm. to play professional tennis. But when it comes to the the team sports, like football, it comes down to owners being team owners being willing to give the opportunity to a black man who have played the sport, worked their way into a, an assistant coaching position or a coordinator position, but then there's this glass ceiling where it seems to stop for them. That glass ceiling needs to be shattered to give more of those men an opportunity to be head coaches. And when we see that, then it will become normalized. It won't be so unusual to have a black head coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a brief period during this offseason, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers was the only black head coach in the league. Now, you know, Tampa Bay has Todd Bowles, but it out of 32 teams, there's still just a paucity of black head coaches. And the owners need to change that. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, needs to be more persuasive in telling the owners, this looks bad for our product. Yes, especially, like you said, predominantly the players in the NFL are of color. So Yes, absolutely. They're just, they're just not getting the opportunity now, to, to coach. Now, this might be far-fetched, but... Do you suppose that because of that, there's a lot of young players or parents that don't push their child hard enough to pursue something like that at a young age because they say, well, there's no room or there's no opportunity. Do you think that maybe if we as uh, parents uh, can help push that in our children? Well, I I think there are enough People, young people think in terms of playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I rarely, I rarely hear them talk about wanting to become a coach. They want to play. So once they become, let's say, college football stars, we'll take it from there because the, you know, as we, as you and I speak, the NFL draft is later this week. So a lot of the young black men are going to be, become millionaires later this week. They're going to be drafted. They're going to sign their first contracts. They will become millionaires. They're thinking about playing. What I think needs to happen is those young men need to think more in terms of, oh, after I play, you know, I want to be a stronger advocate for becoming a coach. Mm -hmm. Let your coaches know that you're interested in coaching. Let your general manager know that you're interested in coaching. I'm not sure enough young NFL players of color are making it known that they would like to coach someday because the average career, Chuck, lasts only four years. That's amazing. We hear about the superstars like Tom Brady who play into their 40s, but that's an anomaly. The vast majority of NFL players are out of the league in four years. So what do you do then? You're still in your 20s. You, You can't play football anymore. You've been cut because there are better players or you've suffered an injury that prevents you from playing. But you're still a young man in the real world. And I think more um, football players of color need to make it known that they'd like to coach someday. 
I'm going to bring this all the way back to you uh, because you love this. You love sports, but then yes. you realize you weren't tall enough. You weren't maybe fast enough. You weren't big yes. enough, but you had a career path. So more yeah. of the color players need to think about a long or longer term uh, career path. They're in sports because they're not only are they good, they love the sport. So they need to start thinking about that end game, it sounds like. Yeah, players of color need to develop that game plan. I think colleges could help them do mm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going into college football where nowadays if you play at one of the big schools, you're going to be on national TV every week. So people are going to know you. And now with this name, image, and likeness movement, you can make money while you're playing college football or college basketball. I think that's where the colleges can do more to let the young men and young women who play basketball, let's say, know that there's not there, there should be opportunities for you in coaching or in sports management after your playing career. Don't just think in terms of playing. You know, continue to work hard to become the best player you can be to go to the pros and hopefully become rich. But that career won't last. I, I'm around much longer as a sports journalist than the athletes are. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can do what I do for decades. <laughs> so I, I think it's incumbent upon colleges and, and coaches. And this is where parents can also come in. Let the young men and women know that start thinking about what you want to do after your playing career because it could end on one one injury or you know the, when the new crop of talent comes in that means literally hundreds of people are going to lose their jobs because new players are coming in who won't have to be paid as much what do you do after the, the cheering stops mm-hmm this is all really, really amazing. Um, it's great, great topics of conversation, I think. Um, but can you hold up your book one more time and let's let everybody see the cover. And there it is. Different strokes. My eyes are not good enough to see the, small, the smaller print anymore. Okay. So- Serena, Venus, and the Unfinished Black Tennis Revolution. Yes, and Chuck, I, I chose that subtitle because um, there's an issue with um, a paucity of black American umpires in tennis. There have been two racial discrimination lawsuits filed against the United States Tennis Association, the sport's national governing body, because basically to become an umpire, you need to be sponsored by your country's tennis association to go to umpire school, and you work your way up. It starts with a white badge then a bronze badge a silver badge and the highest level is the gold badge if you earn a gold badge you're qualified to officiate any tennis match anywhere in the world including the olympics and very few black umpires have been sponsored by their federations or their country's associations enough to get the gold badge and i write in different strokes about Cecil Hollins, who was one of the few black tennis umpires to earn a gold badge, yet he was never allowed to officiate a U.S. Open singles final. And he was one of the plaintiffs in the first racial discrimination suit. The other was a woman named Sandy French, who is still the only black American umpire. 
to officiate a U.S. Open singles final. And that was in 1993. Wow. And uh, the next year, she went back to the U.S. Open and was demoted from the umpire who sits in the high chair. In 1994, she was demoted to a line umpire. And when she asked why, she was told, well, you didn't deserve to umpire that match last year. Rather than encourage her and let the 93 final be a springboard to a successful career as an umpire, she was basically demoted. And that is an ongoing problem in the sport. We see Venus and Serena doing very well. We see other black players doing very well, but we literally don't see any black American tennis umpires officiating major matches. Almost 30 years after Sandy French did it, flawlessly. There's there's so much that is not known. And you right now definitely opening up my eyes to the problem out there in tennis, in pretty much all major sports. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like your book is, is about tennis is about Serena and Venus uh, Williams, about their family dynamics, all of that up until a certain age, but it goes much further. And I would imagine that reading your book will open up your minds and eyes to what is happening today, what happened 10 years ago, what's been happening for a long time for um, athletes of color. And yes. Athletes of color who are not given the opportunity to progress in in their field of sports, not just as an athlete, but like you said, after uh, after their career as an athlete. So, yeah, I, I really want to raise people's consciousness about that in in this book to just see that it's important to look beyond what you see on the court. Yes. It's great to see Serena Williams out there winning major titles and Serena and Venus as tennis idols and young players that they've influenced like Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff, who in Naomi's case, she has already won four major titles and then Coco Goff is 18. She's destined to win major titles, but there are so many other positions in tennis where blacks are severely underrepresented, including the umpires, as we discussed and the paucity of black umpires has everything to do with a lack of opportunity. You know, if, if your association sponsors you for umpire school and you work your way up to a gold badge, that means you're qualified. Mm-hmm. But Cecil Hollins had a gold badge and still never got a chance to officiate a U.S. Open singles final. And that's appalling. And like you said, and then she was demoted. Well, in the case of Sandy French, oh, Sandy she did Prince. it in 1993. Yeah the U.S. Open women's final, and she did a fine job. There's a, a, an old saying in sports, if you don't notice the umpire or the referee, they did a great job. And that was how Sandy French did the ninth, worked the 1993 U.S. Open women's final. No incidents, no controversy. She did a fine job, but she was demoted the next year. And I also write about an umpire named Tony Nimmons who came along after Sandy French and Cecil Hollins he worked his way up to the silver badge level. He would have needed the U.S. Tennis Association to sponsor him for gold badge status. They never did. They started taking his assignments away, and he was eventually fired. He filed the second racial discrimination lawsuit against the U.S. Tennis Association. 
So these are highly qualified umpires who just never got the opportunity to officiate the biggest matches in their country. And it's appalling. Well, I'm, I am certainly learning a lot, and I, I am guilty of not being aware. So you've definitely made me aware. Um, but okay, thank you. Cecil, I want to say thank you very much for being on the show today. And I want people really to go out there and find your books, read the books, because there is so much more happening. And reading the books, I think it's going to um, open the minds of many people. And hopefully it makes a difference. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Chuck, for inviting me. And I hope everyone listening will look for different strokes. They can find it on Amazon.com, all book book websites, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell your audience about the book. Thank you.